wants to know what he's thinking. Bright Man! Aqua lads and aqua lasses, my name is Johnny C. Welcome back to the Aqua Cave for Bright Man, the show where I'm allowed to talk about whatever bright idea pops into my head. So let's get right to it. It's come to this, a cheap crossover ploy. Yes, much like in the world of comic books or even back on TV when it used to matter, it's a crossover event. This show is crossing over with another program here on the Aqua Cave known as Kingfish, where we look at Sunday Night Heat. You probably all know what it is because I know you all listen to everything here in the Aqua Cave. But it's more than actually a cheap crossover ploy. Let me explain. So... The last episode of Kingfish was the lead-in Sunday Night Heat episode to the September 1998 World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view extravaganza known as Breakdown In Your House. Now, this isn't in your house, so you would think, well, Johnny, won't you cover it someday on Concrete Man? The answer is no, because Vince McMahon is not on commentary anymore, so it's free and clear to be talked about. Now, while watching that episode of Kingfish... A lot of memories came flooding back to me, and I actually kind of enjoyed covering that heat. Uh, September has been an interesting month uh, in the World Wrestling Federation this particular year. On heat, we've seen a couple of mid-card superstars elevated to a higher level. Uh, We've been lovingly calling them the Challengers of the Unknown, because they are championship challengers or contenders, Uh, But they don't have a team name, so we're just ripping off that lame DC Comics superhero team, the Challengers of the Unknown. Uh, What else would you expect from a Johnny C? But there's something else in my brain that's clicking here. I said on Kingfish, I didn't think I had ever seen the Superstructure Steel Cage match. Because yes, that's, that's what they called it when they booked it on Heat. The Superstructure Steel Cage will hold the first ever triple threat match in a steel cage in World Wrestling Federation history tonight at Breakdown in Your House. Now, I was I was confused. I know this match. I know this match gets pretty decent amount of you know high-ish praise. You know, like three-ish, three, three to four stars-ish, whatever. And I remember as a kid being super psyched when this was announced. But then I I couldn't remember if I'd actually ever seen it. And then I thought to myself, well, Johnny, of course you've seen it. I mean, you got every fucking pay-per-view uh, after ninety uh, from 96 to when you went to college. And then I started to remember, wait a minute, I didn't get this fucking pay-per-view. And then I started to remember why. And I was pissed, which is why today on Brightman, I'm going to review, sort of, Breakdown in Your House in its entirety. Now... I say I didn't get this pay-per-view. I would have been a sophomore in high school, and it's the end of September, and I remember exactly why. I remember in September, I was absent from school for like three or four days. It doesn't matter why. I I only remember this because it fucking broke my ability to get a pay-per-view. Anywho... I believe it was my English grade that was uh, the cause of this whole fiasco. So at the school I went to, uh, we did uh, blocks of nine weeks for like a, a grading period, okay? And at the halfway mark, they would send out reports to parents if the, if the child in question had a D or lower currently in the course. It was like a warning, like, hey, we're halfway done and your grade's fucking balls. Now... Right before these reports were set to go out, I was absent, 
and there was some sort of paper I needed to turn in for English, and, you know, I wasn't there to turn it in. It's a pretty fair event, you know, but because the professor or teacher didn't exclude that from the calculation, it took my grade down to a D because I'm missing a huge weighted assignment. Now, hey, I'm not throwing shade at the teacher. Like, teaching's a hard, you know, there's a lot of shit to contend with, all right? But the, the letter came like the day before the pay-per-view. And I was talking to my parents. I was like, oh, you know what? I know exactly what this is all about. Uh, and I explained it. My parents called bullshit. I was grounded until at least Monday when the situation could be cleared up. Thus, taking away my ability to have a breakdown in your house. I probably had a breakdown in my house because knowing the little bitch that I was at the time and maybe continue to be, I would have complained until the cows came home about not being able to experience the World Wrestling Federation in my house. But it now it just makes me chuckle. But, you know, if you were to line up all my wrestling tapes, there was a big gap in September of 98, and here it is. So this is sort of going to be... I don't know if I've ever sat down to watch this thing from beginning to end. I'm sure I probably rented the tape, maybe, so I might be killing my own little uh, uh, hook there for the beginning, but whatever. I don't remember it, so here we go. Now, I'm going to go to the major beats of the pay-per-view and point things out that are fun to me. I'm not going to, like, recap each match. That's not what this is about, but... Because it was hyped up so much on Kingfish, and this is sort of a crossover, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into as much detail as I can about the superstructure steel cage match. Uh, but the rest of the stuff is just gonna be the highlights. Sound good? Let's roll. The pay-per-view starts with an opening video that's all about the master plan. JR, my pops, has got a master plan. The Master Plan is a storyline that we've seen unveil or unfold across episodes of Heat. And of course, this time period in the WWF was marred by the U.S. Open. Uh, and, and, you know, there was all sorts of Saturday Night Raws and shit like that. So it was a very, uh, you know, all the balls are in the air time period. And I hope you catch all of our programming. So it's a good recap. Uh, it's all about Vince McMahon. And the master plan. You would think that Austin was facing Vince here based on all this. Uh, it features a lot of military imagery, like missiles and shit, and also um, great historical figures, like JFK. Oh, okay. Albert Einstein and a chalkboard, which I love because it's like Vince is like, I'm a genius in the video, and they flash to Einstein and then to Vince, and I just love the idea of Vince being like, ah, maybe we should put Einstein in there when I say I'm a genius. I mean, it. You see the parallels, right, pal? I think we also get Mussolini, which, ew. But at the same time, like, I get it. Like, Vince is an evil, tyrannical character. It makes sense. It's not as if they're, like, glorifying. It's whatever. It's a fucking harmless kid fucking TV show. But I do think it's kind of funny. Um, we then transition into what I would lovingly declare PlayStation 1-worthy graphics of a car speeding down a road, eventually crashing in a tunnel, and leading us to the breakdown in your house logo. Now, I... I don't want to make fun of this because, I mean, come on. it's This is, you know, what they could do at the time. But in retrospect, it, it's quite fucking comical. I feel like either one of my kids could pull up their piece of shit school-given Chromebook computers and, and design and animate something better than this if I gave them, like, an hour. And again, it they, it's an unfair comparison. It's truly an unfair comparison. But at the same time, it just... This one hit me hard. I was like, I was like, is this bad boy presented by PlayStation? Of course, no. It's pre it's presented by Stridex medicated pads. 
And uh, we're off. It's Hamilton, Ontario. JR and the King are on the call. They send uh, spend the opening minutes sort of recapping the stipulations to the main event that were added on Heat. That being if anyone interferes in the match to help Stone Cold, the match is thrown out and Austin is stripped of the title. Interestingly, JR and King both mentioned that they thought it was maybe the best episode of Heat of all time. I don't know. I guess I'd have to think about it. But it certainly served a purpose. There was a lot of shenanigans on Heat. I'm not going to recap it because I'm a cheap bastard. And I'm going to tell you to listen to Kingfish. Yeah, this is the part where I tell you to listen to Kingfish. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, Heat was good, though. It was a lot of fun. The arena setup is typical for a pay-per-view with a small uh, Titantron, a small Tron hanging over the entranceway. Uh, The breakdown logo is like a street sign. And the ring aprons are all the WWF Scratch logo. I bring it up because that's something I always hated. I was like, shouldn't these pay-per-views feel more special and have their own ring apron? The Scratch logo shit just made it feel so typical. And that's a weird thing. The lack of Titantron, too, makes this feel so small and typical. It's just a further example of the strange dichotomy between pay-per-views and Monday Night Television in the Monday Night War era. I also don't like the all red ring ropes. It's probably just me, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But again, the pay-per-view feels small in scale. JR says we got nine great matches tonight, so we better fucking get started. It's our opening contest. Owen Hart taking on Edge. To me, it stands out as a typical we-need-an-opener formula here. But it's a good idea considering Edge's youth and Owen's experience. And let's not kid ourselves. Two Canadian superstars opening the show in Canada. It just is hardcore brand synergy. Edge gets a good pop, but it's only when they mention his hometown. I find it humorous. Owen gets an even better pop, and he's wearing a Toronto Argonauts jersey. Owen Hart is such a genius. The chants and cheering quickly turn to the Nugget chant, however, showing that Owen is over, but let's not forget he's a heel. And, and you know, it's... And that's, like, I was going to say, I love this for Owen. Like, and I do. He's so over. It's it's over as a heel, but they love to chant Nugget at him and give him a hard time. And who can blame them? Interacting with a superstar like Owen is tremendous. Uh, in the match, it's not really important, but at one point, Edge comes off the apron and Owen counters it into a power slam on the Thor. On the floor, goodness. There's a sickening thud. It doesn't really matter. You know, I hadn't taken any notes, and this thud happens, and I was like, ooh, I should probably mention that thud, because it's fucking gross. Uh, Edge fights back, though, which, of course, calls JR to mention that Edge is pugnacious. Uh, Edge is also a strange enigma, in case you were wondering. So he's a pugnacious, strange enigma. Of course, over on Kingfish, we know that Gangrel and Edge have been having some strange meetings as of late. That's been a big heat storyline. Of course, on the pay-per-view, they keep them in separate matches, but they're both here. At one point, Owen hits the WrestleMania 10 victory roll, but it gets reversed. It doesn't get the fall or anything like that. But JR actually brings up on commentary that this is how Owen beat his big brother Bret at WrestleMania. You know, Bret Hart. WCW superstar Bret Hart. That's about what it's worth. Uh, Later, Owen hits the HBA killer in Sigiri, which of course is expected, but JR mentions it's taken out many World Wrestling Federation superstars. Tremendous moment here. Owen's on the canvas. Edge goes up top to jump. Right before Edge jumps, Owen rolls out of the way, pops right up and turns his back on Edge and just hits his woo victory pose. 
Uh, but he turns around and uh, edges there, and he eats an education before it was called an education, so it only gets two. JR wants to know if Jim Carrey is watching. The king laughs, but he's unamused. He'll tell us all about Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey might even be in attendance tomorrow night on Raw. But but the king's going to hold back and not talk about Jim until Raw. Again, I bring it up only because much like the strange arena setup, it's a typical use of using the pay-per-views, God help us, to drive us to our Monday night programming. It's Attitude Era. I get it. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a young man who I believe thinks he's at a rave is at ringside. (laughs) Edge is distracted by this man's shiny and bright fucking unbuttoned button down. And uh, Owen hits what I'm calling the stone cold lip breaker pin combination. Because it's the pinning combination that Mero used to bust Austin's lip at the King of the Ring. And here we go. Edge loses his first match. Now I was surprised by this. Because it's like really? Edge, who's your hot young superstar, just losing clean. Well, it's not clean here on pay-per-view. But I like Owen getting the win. It's Canada after all. And we all know this shiny raver that I jokingly pretend that I don't know. I mean, it's Christian. It's the first appearance of Christian. History in the making. And, of course, Edge is like, what are you doing here? Because I'm Edge and I don't quite know how to act, even if I ever did. Uh, Christian says nothing. He just vanishes after the one, two, three. But I get it. It's a safe way. I mean, you got to lose eventually, right? I mean, unless you're Goldberg. Well, even Goldberg lost. But you can't win them all. You, like, uh, undefeated streaks just are asking for trouble, honestly, in my opinion. Uh, see, back, comma, rye. But yeah, it's just not a good idea. So, have it go here. It's fine. I give it two and a half stars, which is your baseline. There, there's nothing wrong with this match. There's nothing like great about it, but it's exactly what you would expect. And I'm shocked by Edge losing, kind of. So it's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Uh, in the back, Doc Hendricks is with Sable hyping the superstar line. God almighty, I feel like I'm on concrete, man. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Almost every in-your-house match we cover on Concrete Man, it's like, it's over, let's cut and hype the superstar line. In my head, I'm like, man, they're way past shit like this. But you know what? They're never really past shit like this. Don't let your memories fool you. Leave the memories alone. The superstar line is an important part of the business plan. It's time for match two. Too much is making their way to the ring. That being Scott Taylor and Brian Christopher before they're cool and hot. JR says uh, they may gyrate on our nerves, but they're a great young combination. We get a recap of Monday Night Raw. We see Al Snow defeated Sergeant Slaughter in a boot camp match to win a contract in the World Wrestling Federation. Kingfish listeners know all about this one. They know that Al Snow played Riddler on Heat and fucked with the broadcast stream. Uh, And then he got assaulted by Sarge and what have you. We see on Raw, after the match, after Al's victory, he was attacked by Sarge and the Stooges. And guess who makes the save? Scorpio! Beware of his generous pensions, plus three weeks paid vacation each year. Scorpio! On Fridays, the lunchroom serves hot dogs and burgers and beer. He loves German beer. So yeah, Scorpio. Not so much too cold, not so much Hank, but just fucking Scorpio. Don't get me wrong here, folks. In this video recap when Scorpio saves Al Snow... 
All Scorpio did was walk down to the ring and lazily hold a chair. It's an awful visual that makes me just not want to see Scorpio on my TV screens. But sure enough, here they come. Al Snow and Scorpio! Scorpio leading the way, much like he did when those kidsters needed to get to school in that legendary WCW hype video. Everybody, here comes to call Scorpio! Snow, God help me, is hugely over. Again, it's just a sign of the times. According to JR, these guys are friendly because, well, they're good buddies. Uh, JR brings up their time in ECW, even. Uh, the King calls it extremely crappy wrestling. JR notes that Al Snow is finally here as a WWF superstar after having failed gimmicks like Leaf, Avatar, Leaf Cassidy excuse me, and Avatar. J- uh, King brings up he actually liked Avatar. I bring up, Ah, uh, King, what does it feel like to wear a mask? <laughs> now, if you want context there, again, it's a cheap crossover. On Concrete Man... I did an episode called The Concrete Man, Brandon Manitoba in Your House Special. All it is is a, a recap and review of The Raw, The Night After Great White North, because Vince lost his shit at Great White North. But that show features the debut of Avatar. It's fucking hilarious. It's botchtastic. Vince has a breakdown in your house during the match. Seriously, listen to it. It's tremendous. And I'm not saying my shit's tre- well. I do, of course, think my shit's tremendous. But if you if you're not familiar with the situation, just listen to that episode of Concrete Man, and it'll put it all into context for you. The bell rings, and we get a furniture alert. Hyping Concrete Man yet again. On Concrete Man, we make note whenever someone says house, if they're not saying in your house. King says, if you want two houses, bet your house against Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event. Well, there you go. Scorpio hits a unique karate kick maneuver that's called. What am a kick by JR? Well, he's got he just calls it what a kick, but that's sort of his version of what a maneuver. Scott Taylor hits a nip up moonwalk combination during the encounter, and it makes TNA Next Generation superstar Brian Christopher do his hyena laugh. It's hilarious. Of course, the king denies any paternity here, as is to be expected. Later in the match, Brian Christopher is facing off with Al Snow. He gets Al down. Brian Christopher is still at a vertical base, so he jumps around doing Al Snow's head taunt, yelling, Head! 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 It's fucking glorious. Later in the match, Al Snow tosses Scorpio a chair. Scorpio sets it up in the middle of the ring, but the referee's like, Hey, Scorpio, you can't do that, and is distracted. So Al Snow enters the ring and hits the snow-a-tree in motion! Because he hits the poetry in motion, ironically... Right before this match, or not before this match, before this show on Sunday Night Heat, Kingfish Episode 9, the Hardy Boys made their debut with the WWF as an official team. Listen to it on Kingfish Episode 9. I didn't expect to plug this much shit, but it's brand synergy. After Snow hits the snow tree in motion, Scorpio goes for his own because too much is in the same corner regrouping. Scorpio breaks into a sprint, leaps off the chair. The chair! Breaks! Scorpio pulls a Shockmaster and falls right on his arse. Later in the match, Scorpio hits a big flying splash off the top, goes for the pin, is getting the three, but lifts Brian Christopher up off the canvas. (laughs) Damn, Scorp, that's a ballsy move considering you're fucking the WWF version of Scorpio. Later, the match breaks down uh, in your house, I guess. Everyone's in the ring. Nobody knows who's legal. 
Al Snow uses the head on everyone, including his own partner, on accident, I guess. Hits the snow plow for the one, two, three. It should be noted he pins the illegal man, and Al Snow is not even legal. Two stars, I guess. The botch was funny enough, but there's just no sense or logic in this match. Uh, but it wasn't like it was hard to watch or anything, but I gotta deduct a little bit for just not telling any story, so two stars. Michael Cole interviews the Brothers of Destruction. They know which one of them will get the pin tonight, but refuse to tell us. But they do promise Austin will get destra- destroyed. And Undertaker's doing some weird sort of, like, speech impediment. He's like, Austin will be dis- destroyed. I don't know how to fucking do it. He's lame. Here comes match number three. It's Marvelous Mark Marrow, accompanied by the new World Wrestling Federation Women's Champion, Jacqueline, the baby with back. There's big Sable chance here as Marrow and Jacqueline enter the ring. Uh, I'm told Jackie just won the belt on Raw. Must be true because I haven't heard about it on Kingfish. And JR knows that Sable is not pleased with this turn of events. Hey, everybody, just so you know, Breakdown in Your House is sponsored by Nintendo Sports. JR mentions it's only sponsored in Canada by Nintendo Sports, but whatever. Get in or get out. Nintendo Sports. Of course, as I mentioned, Stridex is the sponsor in the United States of America. I guess because we all eat a lot of fast food and have zits? Sure, I'm going to go with that one. But we're also lazy and play a lot of video games. So, Brand Synergy, Breaking Down Borders, here on Brightman. Marrow's opponent this evening? Well, for some reason, it's Draws. Uh, there's no feud between these two that I'm aware of. But it's the Attitude Era. Draws has Attitude. And pay-per-views are pretty much just versions of Raw you gotta pay for. So the bell rings. Why not? JR lets us know that Draws once got a lot of protein into his diet uh, from eating a deer's heart. Well, alright. I never really liked Bambi, so I suppose out loud. But here's the bigger question. It is Aquatober here in the Aqua Cave. After Draws ate the heart... Did he become a killer deer? Because famously in Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, the coroner eats Jason's heart and basically becomes Jason. I like the brand synergy here. Draws, of course, has a football background, so JR spends most of the match hyping up his vitals, trying to put this man over. Oh, he's 6'4", King. He's a hell of an athlete. He's a two-time All-American at uh, Darren Drozdoff State, uh, a University of Phoenix online graduate as well. At one point during this match, JR declares that Mark Marrow is no longer a bad man, but he's happy now that he has the baby with back by his side. I mean, JR doesn't say the baby with back, as Shane famously does on Kingfish, but it's just kind of weird that he's pulling out the old Johnny B. Bad here. I don't know. I don't know. It's fine, though. Whatever. Later in the match, Mark Marrow does his patented Marrow somersault over the top rope to an opponent that's on the floor. Of course, one of his feet nails draws right in the face, as Marrow is prone to do when delivering this maneuver. During the match, JR casually lets us know that Draws sleeps with his boa constrictor. And now I'm taking a closer look at Draws. The man eats beating hearts. He sleeps with a snake. Is the Draws secretly Brian Bosworth from the movie Stone Cold? If you've not seen the movie Stone Cold, first of all, well, finish this episode of Bright Man and then go watch Stone Cold starring Brian Bosworth. But, you know, they're both ex-football players. They both have a lot of ink. They both have Z 
styled names. They both have crazy pets because famously in that movie, uh, Boz has like a got a Komodo dragon or whatever, and he feeds it like Snickers bars. I don't know. Fuck this match. He's already talking about stupid shit. The finish comes quickly. Shades of WCW Super Brawl 6 as Jacqueline comes off the top rope and hits draws with her shoe. Mark Marrow then goes to the top and hits the wild thing Rick Vaughn. But wait! JR calls it the Marvelocity! Wow, I totally forgot about the rebranding of that move. It absolutely sounds like a fucking Disney Plus television special as well. And Marrow picks up the one, two, three. I don't know. I mean, it's a raw match. I mean, it really is. It's like five minutes. One and a half, I guess, because I'm feeling generous uh, because of the women's shoe shenanigans. King casually mentions after this that the shoe shouldn't really factor into the ending of the match because Jackie's just a size five. And I absolutely believe King has the ability to look at a woman's feet and size her up for a shoe size because, you know, he's the creepy-ass king. Up next, JR promises a slobber knocker. But first, hey kids, would you like to tell your French teacher where she can go? Not so much up here, not so much right here, but maybe down here? Well, for 31 bucks, you can get that shirt ordered, delivered to your house, and immediately removed from the school of your choice. It's match number four. It's video time. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't we just release an episode this week? called the Concrete Man Dawn of a New Era special that covered the events of Vader taking out Gorilla Monsoon on a very special dawning of a new era episode of Monday Night Raw. I believe that we did. Now, that's an unplanned crossover, but folks, I'm sticking with it, and you should listen to that. It's actually a very interesting listen because I did the special because the night after the Rumble, Vince proclaims, It's a new era! And I was like, huh. Sure it is, Vince. Well, sure enough, I watched the episode, and it just might be. I'm stroking the chin, but you can't see it. Um, anywho, according to the Fink, this match is one fall to a finish, and anything goes. Michael Cole's in the back to interview his opponent. My God, it's Bradshaw. Maybe it's because I just, last night... Rewatched episode one of Peacemaker on HBO Max. Of course, Peacemaker, played by John Cena. Now, in that episode, the episode finishes, spoiler alert, with John Cena in a very long fight sequence wearing tidy whities All right? And Bradshaw here is just wearing short trunks. I, I can't believe I'm going to say... Bradshaw's in some pretty decent-ass fucking shape here. But he's also younger, and he's got kind of a baby face. I mean, he looks like John Cena. I mean, he doesn't look like John Cena, okay? But if you glance and you look, just for a second, you get some Cena vibes. And I'm not trying to proclaim that, like... First of all, I'm not trying to shame JBL's body. The dude is fucking cut out of granite here. He's better than I've ever fucking looked. I know that their body shapes and sizes aren't really comparable, even if they're both cut. But just go with it here. Maybe, maybe squint a little bit, and you'll see what I'm saying. Now, Vader and Bradshaw, briefly tag team partners that can't get along, their journey was chronicled on a few episodes of Kingfish. Bradshaw says, and I quote, I didn't come here to wrestle that fat bastard, Mackle. It's survival of the fittest, not the fattest, Mackle. And I can actually throw in those Mackles because he is talking to Mackle Cole. JBL comes out, 
His theme music is sort of a knockoff of Running with the Devil. Yes, I am. The bell rings, and here we go. Uh, just in case you were wondering, Bradshaw is indeed a two-time All-American that was kicked off of the Oakland, Los Angeles, or Las Vegas Raiders. The choice is yours. JR notes that Vader's biggest uh, enemy in the World Wrestling Federation has been injuries and weight problems. Way to put the mastodon over there, JR. They start with a lockup. Seriously? Seriously, after that promo, Michael, I'm going to kick his ass, Michael, or whatever he'd say, I'm going to kick his fat ass, Michael. Like, he said, I'm not here to wrestle his fat ass. I'm here to beat it, or whatever he said. And a lockup? Huh. About two minutes into this thing, all we've had is a body slam, kicks, punches, and Vader locked in a leg lock. Fucking no holds barred, all right, let me tell you. Eventually, we get to the outside, and, you know, Vader does get thrown into the post. Okay, that would happen in any fucking Raw match. Vader splats onto the floor after getting thrown to the post. Some overzealous fan gets on uh, immortalized here on Peacock when he yells, <laughs> Vader, get up and hit him with your fat ass! I mean, it's an obvious one, but, you know, like I said, the guy's immortalized. What are you going to do? They brawl outside, but it's nothing, again, you wouldn't see on Raw or Heat. Bradshaw hits a clothesline on the outside. JR commits grand larceny and says, Oh, King, that's a clothesline from downtown. Downtown, JR? Stealing from your legendary broadcast partner on Sunday Night Heat, fucking Shane McMahon, as he often declares, Oh, man, JR, he's going downtown. He's going downstairs, JR. Oh, he's going downtown. Shane's never gotten downtown, okay? And I'll admit, he's kind of laid off of downtown in latest episodes of Kingfish. But at the same time, JR, that's just rude. JBL, after this clothesline from downtown, pins on the outside for a two count. Wait, what? It's suddenly pinfall. I mean, look, Fink said anything goes. But if they announce like an anything goes match on Raw, like, I'm not... That doesn't necessarily mean pinfalls count anywhere. If anything goes, that means like, well, you mean our guns legal on the outside, Shivani? But seriously, like, those are two different steps. I just don't get it. Vader eventually gets the steel steps and hits what you could, you know, at its worst, call a love tap to JBL's face or back or whatever. I don't know. The biggest thing about this match is Ontario has brought their bullhorns to this match. There's a lot of them, and it's kind of Trey annoying, to be honest with you. But lots of Vader walking around, and you hear, Clothesline! I don't know, it just gets old after a while. Vader hits what JR calls a liver quiver splash. He hits a Vader bomb, I'll be goddamned. One, two, no, it's a kick out. JBL is up, and JR says, we're deep in the fourth quarter. All right. Bradshaw hits a clothesline from hell. One, two, no. All right. Uh, JBL hits a second clothesline from hell. One, two, no. JBL yells, get up, you bastard. The Vader abides. He stands up. Uh, Bradshaw hits a neckbreaker. Not a rude awakening. Just he goes behind him and, and hits a neckbreaker. 
Uh, JR yells, oh, we've never seen that move from Bradshaw before. Well, there's a good reason, JR, because the clothesline from hell is so much better. But this neckbreaker scenario gets a one, two, three. Whatever. This is so fucking dumb. Like, you have the stip. You have the stipulation, guys, because you need it. There's a reason they gave you that stipulation. They gave you something that you could use to your advantage to go out here and put on a spectacle to get over you didn't one and a half stars from a Johnny C. It's just not good use of the stipulation. And worst of all, the biggest sin that I've spoken about ad nauseum on all my shows, boredom. All right? I mean, I've not seen a five-star match that's like technically five stars I've watched where I was bored. But in my brain, it could happen. Like... If someone says, that's a five-star spectacle, and I watch it, and I'm getting bored, there's no way. Now, that's very just me, but I think on this match, it's a fair comparison. Jim Ross throws to the back to talk to the folks at WWF.com. It's Kevin Kelly and Tom Pritchard with impressionist extraordinaire Jason Sensation. Now, you may remember Jason Sensation from the Nation parody, which can be found nowhere, but he played Owen Hart. And he did a pretty good job. My biggest problem with Jason Sensation, he's not Jason Taruskin. Where is Jason Taruskin? Who is Jason Taruskin, you might ask? If you don't remember, Jason Taruskin is the kid who won a contest to be a special guest host on WWF Mania back in like 94. The kid won because his video submission was a dynamite impression of Owen Hart. The kid's name is Jason. I, I, for years, thought Jason Taruskin might be Jason Sensation. It's not. And ever since I became a podcast journalist, uh, sometime last year in the Northside Connection Podcast Network, I have been trying to do a couple of things. One, get Jason Taruskin's identity and uh, knowledge of him as WWF Mania co-host back into the cultural zeitgeist. I've also reached out to Jason Taruskin requesting an interview. Aqua Cave fans, let's get Jason Taruskin back into the spotlight. Help me bring Jason Taruskin to the Aqua Cave. Be nice. Be nice. Like, be nice if you can find the dude. But if you can, maybe tell him to respond to good old Johnny C. And let's hear what the sensation known as Jason Taruskin has to say. Back to this breakdown show, though. Jason does a pretty good rock impression. He gets the bass in the rock's voice correct. That's hard to do for me, so good for you, Jason. He does a shitty Road Dog and a shitty Jeff Jarrett impression. Eh, We can't all be winners. He does nail The Undertaker, though. So, you know, I guess two out of four is 50%. It's an F. I was going to say two out of four is not bad, but it is bad. Back in the arena, it's time for match number five. Here comes the former champion of Europe, now once again residing in Chicago, Illinois. Wait a minute. D'Lo lost this thing? I've seen him on like every episode of Kingfish. He's been the European champion forever. Well, we get a video recap. Six days ago on Raw, D'Lo Brown lost the European championship to XPAC, baby. We see a replay of the match finish. Uh, X-Pac wins with the X-Factor, uh, but comically, Jim Ross says, X-Pac victorious with a face drop. Uh, his opponent for this evening. Oh, Nere. Oh, Nere. Bop, 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 bop. Well, all right. I guess it's the king of Sunday Night Heat himself, Gangrel. I guess we're going for heel versus heel here. JR, as Gangrel walks to the ring, 
calls Gangrel a strange son of a gun, allegedly living a gothic lifestyle of some sort. I love it. JR's vagueness is surprisingly somehow so specific. Gangrel walks right past a kidster holding a sign that says, and I quote, D'Lo versus Gangrel, who cares? This is beautiful. I love when shit like this happens, when people are accidentally shamed right behind their back and they're not aware of it. It reminds me of the legendary NWA TNA segment where Vince Russo, Mike Tanay, and Tony Schiavone are all cutting promos on one another dead center in the ring. And behind them is a person holding a single sign because there's like not up their signs, but the only person holding up their sign is this one dude and it says, who cares in plain view behind all three men. It's fucking glorious. Also shades of the legendary WrestleMania 18 sign during the Edge versus Booker T match. They're fighting over shampoo. Gangrel is undefeated, but let's see if this uh, undefeated streak continues tonight. Or will he follow suit like Edge? Because these youngsters are sharing some sort of strange, unknown connection recently on episodes of Heat. Will they both see their streaks come to an end tonight in your house? The bell rings, so here we go. D'Lo Brown is a former defensive end for the main Black Bears, for those of us playing JR football bingo. Gangrel hits his patented corkscrew elbows, which causes JR to bitch and complain about D'Lo still wearing the bulletproof vest. Uh, King tries to defend D'Lo, but JR's all like, Oh, come on, King! He could have gotten over a tumor by now! I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, Hamilton, Ontario has decided that D'Lo Brown will be the babyface here, I guess, because he's the only one they're cheering for. D'Lo goes for a move. I don't know what it is, but it gets countered by Gangrel, and now Gangrel's holding on to D'Lo. JR's like, ah, oh, D'Lo was looking for a home run on that maneuver. D'Lo counters right away uh, by kicking Gangrel in the dick. And King's like, well, he got it with the butt, JR! <laughs> I don't know, I thought that was kind of funny. A little just accidental humor there. D'Lo hits a running powerbomb and hits the top rope to pose. Hamilton, Ontario gives him a little bit of love, I guess. However, back in the ring, during this love from Ontario to D'Lo, Gangrel sells the impact of the running powerbomb by pulling his shirt down because his tum-tum is exposed from the impact. Because that's the important thing, right? Don't act like you're hurt. Make sure your tummy gets covered up because nobody wants to see that shit. Meanwhile, I'm incredibly bored. Nothing doing here, as JR and King would say. Hey, there's a record crowd of 17,405 people here tonight. I think they're as bored as I am. Later, King laughs that someone in the sign has a, excuse me, in the crowd has a Hulkamania sign. He's using this as evidence that Canadian crowds are weird and behind the times. JR wants to know, Hulkamania, is that somebody's grandfather playing the air guitar? Well, guys, in about four years, you're going to have to eat those words. Gangrel then fucks up a stun gun by dropping D'Lo Brown just on the canvas instead of the top rope. Holy shit! Here comes Mark Henry, and I can see him clear as day. Uh, check out Kingfish Episode 9 for an explanation of that joke. I'm doing the finger quotes thing here. Mark Henry uh, pulls down a top rope. Gangrel goes flying over. Uh, Henry tosses Vamp into the post, and he tosses Vamp inside. D'Lo hits the lowdown. The streak is over. 1-2-3, obviously. D'Lo wins. Dud! I don't know if I've ever given a match a dud. I probably have, but dud, dud, dud. 
boring as fuck. I just, I don't know, guys. Like, these guys are competent in different scenarios, but there's no crowd interest here. There's no story. There's no story being made up on the fly in the ring either. It's just a, a series of moves and posing, and I don't, I don't know. It's just boring. It's a heat match at best. And speaking of heat, uh, Gangrel gets his heat back after this match by spitting some viscous red liquid in D'Lo and then hitting the uh, Impaler DDT. Well, folks, JR starts hyping the next match, and it looks like it's time for the Superstructure Steel Cage match. The challengers of the unknown explode! Ken Shamrock versus Mankind versus The Rock in the Superstructure Steel Cage for the number one contendership. Uh, we see some clips of why this match was set up from Raw, because, you know, these three had a triple threat number one contender match on Raw where The Undertaker and Kane interfered, and now we're doing it in a cage so no one can interfere. But holy shit! This episode of Raw had Shane McMahon and Jim Cornette on commentary? What the fuck is this? I'm going to have to do some digging and perhaps unleash a special episode of Kingfish onto the world. That's the most important piece of information I've gotten from this entire edition of Bright Man. But... You know, like I say, if you want to know, if you want to see how this match came to be officially, check out Kingfish Episode 9 for more information. But as it stands here on Breakdown and Bright Man, the superstructure is lowering, and it's time for the Bright Man main event. Before things can properly get started, though, we've got to set the table just a little bit. We need to know what's on the minds of the challengers of the unknown. So Michael Cole has Kenny Kenny Shamrock back at the Breakdown In Your House interview stage near the entrance. Kenny says he's going to go as far as it takes. He came to be champ. And he's tired of getting burned. It's time to knuckle up. Let's get it on! I don't really do a Ken Shamrock impression, okay? I don't know anybody that does, but essentially it's just him sort of staring blankly into the camera and saying his lines. I mean, what do you want from this guy? Doc has the rock back in the locker room. Oh boy, here we go. He doesn't give two pieces of monkey crap about Kenny Kenny Shamrock. Oh, tonight's the night of the rock. Do you two jabronis have too much sugar in your testes, huh? The Rock will stand tall smack dab in the middle of the people's cage. The Rock will use his left hand and his right hand, raise the people's eyebrow, hit the people's elbow, climb the cage inch by damn inch by damn inch. The Rock will forever be the people's champion. Then he ends with a Rock uh, catchphrase that I completely forgotten about. He says, Shazam, bitch. I may, have, I may have made that one up. Now, Kevin Kelly has Mick Foley in the bowels of the arena. Uh, Mick, Ken Shamrock is looking for blood. The Rock is looking for glory. So, Mankind, what are you looking for? Uh, well, Kevin Kelly, I'm looking for an end to world hunger, but I don't really expect to find it in this match, so I'm going to ignore the stupidity of that question, and I know a few things about stupid. It was stupid to break JoJo Miller's guns just because I wanted to play with them. When I saw a grown man urinating on an electric fence, well, I thought that was a stupid thing. When I saw the president of this country sacrificing a nation for a girl that even I would have turned down in high school, well, that's probably a stupid thing too. But nothing rivals the people's elbow. However, for sheer stupidity, and I will not sell that abortion of a move in a steel cage. And if you think I will, you're even stupider than I look. 
Ken Shamrock's looking for blood. Well, I've traded the museum with Spaceman Frank Hickey, and I'm ready! Oh, Kevin, sugar-coated testes, is that a new breakfast cereal? Have a nice day! Wow. <laughs> all right. So, a real nice setup with the back-to-back-to-back interviews here, all right? The Rock is on point. Shamrock's sort of dead air, and that's fine. Mick is a little all over the place, but I still love the randomness of the shit he throws into his promos, as I'm sure you all can expect. Uh, I love that he refuses to sell the people's elbow. He calls it abortion. That means he's absolutely going to be taking it in this move, in this match, right? Also, you know, we're in Canada, and Mick said this country, so I was like, Mick, did you forget where you are? I, I tried to do some quick research to see if there was a Canadian Prime Minister sex scandal. I couldn't find one, so he's definitely got to be talking about Monica. I mean, we're deep in the throes of that. Now, being being so coming down so hard on Monica obviously hasn't aged well, as she's clearly the victim here. I, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I'm not throwing shame at Mick. It's... It's 1998, people. Just fucking deal with it. I would recommend American Crime Story Impeachment from the FX Network. Much like American Crime Story, The People vs. OJ. Man, you want to talk about how crazy it is to see events of your own lifetime dramatized. dramatized. Like, you know, I grew up, like, one one of the big movies that caught my eye when I was a youngster was, like, JFK, right? And it was like, wow, this dramatization of these crazy old historical events that I wasn't around for and can't possibly understand. And then you get so fucking old and you see the events of your life as a fucking TV miniseries and you're like, fuck, I'm old. But still, it's a pretty good show. But but anyway, tangent over, back in the arena, here we go. The Fink indicates it's pinfall, submission, or escape from the cage with both feet touching the floor. It's crazy to me that this match only has an hour of build, but nonetheless, here comes Kenny Kenny Shamrock. JR puts over Shamrock and The Rock's rivalry, including the King of the Ring. Uh, Kenny enters the superstructure cage, and and look, all jokes aside, it's just the old blue WWF cage, uh, but it's put together and it hangs pre-constructed above the ring so they can lift it and raise it. They don't have to put it together on the fly. It does have some extra accoutrement on the top to it, you know, so they can raise it and lower it, but uh, ostensibly it's just old blue. Uh, Mankind comes out next. He's got the last version of his theme song he would have before we get the Razor Ramon tires. Da-na-na. Clap, clap. Da-na-na. Clap, clap. Oh, no, you know, I guess he would have an up... You know, I'm wrong. Because I'm, I'm I'm picturing Mick winning the title in January, and it's sort of the, like, upbeat, quicker tempo Mankind. They're like... Da-na-na-na, da-na-na, da-na-na. Mick Foley has accomplished his dream in the dream of everyone who's ever been told you can't do it. Fuck me sideways. What have I done with my life that I can recant that from memory? Because I'm just staring blankly into the abyss. I'm not looking at my notes. I just know what Michael Cole says. Mick gets a good face pop, but I wouldn't call it huge. Okay? But he's definitely getting there. Uh, Mick can't find the door. It's a funny bit, so he just climbs in. The rocky chants start during Mick's entrance, for Christ's sakes. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? The Nation of Domination rock theme hits with a decent amount of quotes. The rock's latest smackdown. 
know your role, and shut your mouth. Anywho, enough singing from me. But The Rock gets a huge pop when he actually walks out and when the song starts. Uh, his sideburns are at absolute full strength. He enters the ring, immediately blitzes Kenny Shamrock. The bell rings, so here we go with match number six, but definitely the Bright Man main event, even though we'll keep going afterwards. So right from the get-go, Mick just watches as uh, Kenny and The Rock fight it out in the corner. Mick immediately calls for referee Tib White to open the door. Genius. The Rock catches this, however, and puts a stop to it. Mick continues to watch, though, as Ken and Rock still engage. Finally, Mick enters the actual physical confrontation and attacks Kenny. The Rock gets both guys down, but is stopped while trying to exit the door. Shamrock is in here calling plays like he's goddamn Tom Brady on the fucking two-yard line. I can hear everything. Slow it down and lower your voice, Ken. Early on in this match, we've got your basic two guys fight while the other is down from a double-team assault formula. It's fine, but the being stuck in the confines of a cage leaves a little to be desired because everybody's always close to the other. Shamrock gets an abdominal stretch. Fuck you, I'm calling it the Cobra Twist because I played WCW Wrestling for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Shamrock gets fully in the Cobra Twist. The Rock sees this. Puts the Cobra Twist on Kenny Shamrock to a huge pop. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a double twist. Uh, And again, a huge pop for this. It's an innovative spot for the time. And yes, this shot of this fucking all-man Cobra Twist is a famous picture in my head because I remember seeing this picture on WWF.com and being like, God damn it, Mom! Why couldn't I get the pay-per-view? Shamrock hip-tosses the rock over. Mick tosses Ken Shamrock over with a hip toss, and so now uh, we're, we're all kind of down, but the triple twist has been broken, and the crowd gives us some nice applause for our efforts. Rock is now the target of the double team, so he's like, Mick, slow down. How about you and me? We work together. We take out Kenny Kenny Shamrock. Mick, thumbs up, agrees, and the Rock immediately just clotheslines Mick to thunderous applause. Uh, JR starts talking about how Shamrock has had a tough life, King. You know, he he was living in cars. He didn't know who his daddy was. King's like, well, I heard his parents sent Kenny out to get some milk, and then they moved while he was gone. (laughs) Classic King with some orphan shaming here. Foley is kind of doing a Superman thing here because he's got the button down. It's ripped at the top so you can see his shirt underneath, and it's a dude love shirt, kind of like Superman ripping his shirt to show the house of L. Crest. <laughs> well, I've heard pray tell that The Rock doesn't like Superman. If you'd like to know more about that, check out the North-South Connection podcast network where I recently reviewed Black Adam. Hey, don't you look at me like that. I told you it was a crossover episode where I was going to be shilling, shilling, shilling. It is unique to see this ma- this match as they're still battling it out. Aside from that triple or double Cobra twist spot, though, it has kind of been punch-kick, but the crowd has been completely engaged, and I appreciate that. Mick helps Rock put Kenny, pull Kenny back from the door, and we get some big pops for early Rock-Sock tandem working together, even though we're not near the Rock and Sock. It's just the, 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 you know, the bones being laid here, the first, the first bricks in the wall, if you will. Rock Sock then tosses Kenny into the cage, and we finally get some cage-based offense. Now Mick is looking at The Rock, sort of throwing ghost punches and pointing at Shamrock. The Rock sort of is like, okay. He whips Kenny into the ropes. Rock kicks Kenny. 
Kenny ducks down from the pain and Foley runs towards him and hits a high knee and the crowd pops for this tandem offense. Foley celebrates to the Canadian faithful, turns around and gets clotheslined by The Rock and the crowd of course loves this. Now Rock and Rock are teaming up. Mick Foley is the victim. You know, I'm I'm wondering, I'm watching Kenny do some stuff here and it's it stands out to me that like Rock has so much so many things that he can do to draw the audience in that isn't part of like a wrestling match, you know, not moves. Foley has the same sort of thing where you can engage the audience. How come Shamrock didn't do some sort of like funky dance move that they called the Shamrock Shake? I'll see myself out now. Uh, the ankle lock is then applied to Mick Foley, but The Rock quickly breaks it up because he can't have that fat song bitch tapping out to an ankle lock. I would imagine those are his words, not mine. Uh, Ken and Mick Foley now team up to huge boos. Canada loudly yells, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. King wonders, you know, do the people love The Rock because of the people's eyebrow? Or do you think maybe it's the people's elbow? JR is appalled. He's like, I don't know, King. How about they like him for his athleticism? King's like, no, I think it's the people's elbow. I agree. Man Rock which is, I guess, what I'm going to call Mankind and Shamrock, hit a double suplex onto The Rock. Man Rock celebrates. Canada is unamused. Now Mick is telling Kenny Shamrock to do some double-team moves, throwing a ghost punch. Same thing we saw earlier. Ken's like, well, that's okay. I know this works. He whips Rock into the ropes. Shamrock punches Rock in the gut. The Rock crouches down. Mankind... Makes chicken gestures with his arms! Mankind makes chicken gestures with his arms! He runs towards the rock, and the rock just springs forward and murders Foley with a clothesline. Are you seeing a pattern here? Well, I love, I don't know what Foley was doing. I think I just said rot, but fuck it. I don't know what Foley was doing. But these chicken gestures, I was like, oh god, I hope he, I hope he does something huge. And then having rock hit the third Foley betrayal clothesline, it's just, it's, it's, these guys are just, they're a match made in heaven, if you pardon the wrestling pun. Uh, Man Rock, though, continues to double team, but out of nowhere, Rock hits the SmackDown DDT. Now Shamrock goes towards the Rock. Rock flips over, floats over, if you will, and hits the complete version of the lay in the SmackDown DDT. You see, the first one was just a SmackDown. This is a lay in the SmackDown DDT. And the Rock drags Kenny to the center of the ring. Foley's back up, though. He lunges at The Rock, but The Rock catches him in a body slam and puts him down right next to Kenny Kenny Shamrock. And oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, the Canadian crowd knows what's coming. I wonder, do you? Both Rock elbow pads get tossed through the cage. It's a goddamn doubles people el- double people's elbow. Rock sort of has to lily pad over these two corpses as he runs the ropes. He gets dead center, whips both of his arms back, and uses both arms to hit elbows straight to the hearts, maybe, of The Rock and Ken Shamrock. Fuck it. I don't care. I love the people's elbow. I mean, it's, it's kind of an easy sell for most people, but... I'm all into this, and Canada is too. They're just loving this, all right? And and rightfully fucking so, all right? The Rock has been a heel. This is their time to cheer him. (sighs) 
Anywho, The Rock starts to climb the cage. He's up to the uh, top now. Uh, but Man Rock recovers from the devastating double elbow, and they pull Rock down. Kenny gets kicked away, though. Rock comes back up. Uh, Mick Foley grabs Rock's other leg that Rock didn't use to kick Shamrock, yanks Rock all the way down, and uh, the Rock uh, experiences some dick trauma via the top rope. JR calls it, well, that needs no description. Man Rock back in control now, and they're just measuring the Rock. A low blow, though, is hit to Kenny Kenny Shamrock by The Rock. Mick Foley is unamused. He charges at The Rock. You don't charge at The Rock, people, because The Rock just ducks down and hits a rock bottom. It's over. One, two. Oh, no. Kenny Shamrock grabs the foot of The Rock and yanks him right off of the cover. A huge Shamrock sucks organically. Uh, chant, excuse me, Shamrock Sucks or chant organically starts uh, from this pin breakup. I mean, it is loud, and it is quick. It starts quickly. That's the most important part, because that tells you how much The Rock is over. Because, uh, you know, Shamrock, he's been getting booed, cheered, whatever, it doesn't matter, but there's no, there's been no Shamrock Sucks chant during this match at all. He breaks up The Rock from a spot where The Rock should clearly win, and it starts instantly. So that tells you how much The Rock is over. The King, for the first time in this entire show, calls it Bizarro World. Well, of course, he had to get one in. The Rock fights back, though, to a huge pop and beats Shamrock down. He uh, runs at Shamrock for a clothesline. Kenny ducks, hits the belly to belly, and then Kenny unleashes his primal. Ankle lock is applied. The Rock is ready to tap. But Foley hits Kenny Kenny Shamrock, and the crowd pops huge for that. Mick Foley starts climbing the cage. The Rock follows, and Mick is over on the other side now, and he's pretty close to getting out. But The Rock uses the mask to his advantage, yanks Mick back over to the top. They're sitting on the cage, trading punches. Shamrock comes up now, but The Rock says, Get the fuck out of here, it's a two-man party, you bitch. And, uh, you know, Kenny goes flying down. Now Mick takes advantage of The Rock being distracted and tosses Rock down to the canvas as well. So Shamrock and Rock are down, dazed and confused in the ring. Mick can win this fucker. However, it's Mick Foley. So he goes to the corner of the superstructure steel cage, goes for the super Foley elbow drop. But everybody moves out of the way. Good God Almighty! Mankind found the canvas. It was a flashback to his teenage years. Triple down. All three contestants are out of it. Rocky chants start quickly and loudly. We see that the rock is kind of weakly busted open. It's fine. It's not really a part of the match. It just must have happened. Shamrock goes for the door, crawling. Mick Foley stops him. But referee Tim White is a lazy bastard. Well, why does this matter? Because he's been sitting in a chair during this match. Shamrock grabs the referee's chair, brings it into the ring. He charges at Mick, swings, but Mick ducks and hits the patented double arm DDT. Mick has the chair and he is measuring Shamrock. JR on the call. He's number 25 of the WWF Cardinals. Mick swings, concusses slash murders Shamrock with a chair to the skull. JR on the call. Mankind McGuire just hit number 71. 
Mick climbs the cage. <laughs> JR yells, Go for the door, Mick! Which is fucking priceless. The Rock sees that Kenny Shamrock is dead. Covers. One, two, three. The crowd goes apeshit. Foley jumps down and both feet hit the floor. He puts his arms up in the air like, Yeah, I won! The crowd is going absolutely bonkers. It's a genius ending. It's just laying those early seeds for Rock, Mick, whatever you do, Mick, I'm the Rock, I'm smarter than you. Like, we'll see this in Survivor Series. It's just, it's brilliant. I love it. You know, this often doesn't get talked about in the Rock and Sock stuff, and I don't really think it should because it's so early. It's not even a one-on-one, but... Early seeds of what we would see in the future are laid here. Rock constantly betraying Foley, using um, his charisma against uh, Foley, sort of luring Mick into a false sense of security or teamwork, outsmarting him. It's just these two characters were made for one another, and it really shows here in this match when they're not even one-on-one. So that's just a... Uh, you know, me throwing positivity at these two guys' work. And Shamrock's fine here, too. But these guys really have something special. We all know this. It's cool to see it happen so early. And call me crazy, if The Rock wasn't clearly the next guy before this show, this reception, the adulation of the fans, this has to at least sort of seal that deal, right? Now, the match itself, it's fine. It's entertaining as all get out. It's weird, like I said earlier, having three guys in a cage because the old, like, one's down, two fight formula is kind of strange because we're always, always in such close proximity to one another. In a non in a triple threat non-cage match, you could toss the third guy out of the ring, so at least out of sight, out of mind. They don't have to respond so quickly because we're not actively watching them hurt. And that kind of makes this hard to rank because, you know, it's not a goddamn AJ Styles Nakamura classic. At the same time, being honest, all things being equal, it's like three and a half, okay? However, the electricity, the excitement, commentary, crowd, like, all that is a part of an artistic wrestling performance. I'm going to push it to a four, especially when you consider the drag that I've had to watch so far on Breakdown in Your House. Like, this is really something special. The rest of this show has felt like Raw or Heat, dare I say, even though I like Heat. I'm just saying. Um, and this is special. And when you really consider it just had an hour of build, what were they going to sell this fucker on before? I mean, but this was it, though. The challengers of the unknown have exploded, never to reform, as far as I'm aware. And, uh, you know, we get a four-star attraction out of it. And you know what? That's fucking good enough for me. The Rock has arrived. I was going to say he's on his way, but he's here. We get a promo for Judgment Day 98 in your house the next pay-per-view offering of the World Wrestling Federation. I told you, fuckers, it was a fucking crossover. We've talked about Judgment Day 98 on Starman when we reviewed uh, Undertaker versus Kane for the Abant WWF Championship. Yikes, that match blows. But if you want to hear about it, check the Starman archives. The one positive thing I have to say about Judgment Day 98 in your house is it's presented... By 10-10-3-2-1. This, of course, makes me pop. I'm a huge fan of the collect-call wars of the late 90s. And I was all in on 10-10-3-2-1. If you're on Team 1-800-COLLECT or Team 10-10-220, you fuckers can just hit the bricks. Nonetheless, 
breakdown in your house continues. And oh boy, up next, it's the battle for the preacher's wife. Val Venus, rhyming with penis, taking on Dustin Ruddles. Now, we've seen so much of the buildup for this thing on Kingfish. Shameless plug again. But it's nice of Dustin to show up here and get a pay-per-view check. But before we can get into the hype for all this bad boy, Shamrock is beating the shit out of the superstructure steel cage with a steel chair. He comes towards the announce booth, and JR's yelling, I didn't do nothing! I, I didn't do nothing! King, don't you dare use me as a human shield! Uh, Ken Shamrock leaves, not before he yanks a French flag, I believe it is. I couldn't really get a good look at it, but he yanks it right out of a fan's hands. And that's always mean when that happens. But uh, he, he wanders off to the back to challenge the unknown. Now we get a recap of Val and Dustin, highlights including The Preacher's Wife, Val's remake of the seminal uh, Denzel Washington, Whitney Houston hit. God, you know, man, when I went to see Black Adam, I saw a trailer for a Whitney Houston biopic. And don't get me wrong, like, biopics used to be huge. But I'm watching this thing, and they they, we, they redo Whitney singing the national anthem at... I don't know if it's a Super Bowl or World Series. I'm not a huge Whitney mark, and I'm not a huge sports mark. But holy shit, did it look so fake. Like, and I, I get... I'm not the type of guy that's really hard on CGI a lot, but holy shit, it looked bad. It just looked like a cheap shoestring budget for a biopic. Back in the day, that wouldn't be the case, but that's a whole other fucking podcast. Uh, we get After the recap, Dustin Ruddles is already in the ring. Not even worth entrance music. I don't think he has any, though. King quotes the Johnny C. Bible when he says, Well, love thy neighbor, but don't get caught. Ah! Dustin prays. Here comes Val Venus. Tonight's innuendo... Hello, ladies. Hey, Dustin, about your wife, Terry. (laughs) There's been one thing I've been saying a lot about her lately. Here she comes. Sure enough, out comes the she-devil. Dustin Ruddles weeps. Terry is wearing a blue dress. Get it? Devil in a blue dress, blue dress, blue dress, devil with a blue dress on. Also, hey, another Denzel Washington movie. Devil in a blue dress. Wow. Anywho, uh, it's pretty much just a bathrobe that's untied. I mean, there's there's not much imagination here. Uh, she details Val Venus. Uh, King says Val Venus gets more tail than a toilet seat. Gross, but funny. Val and Terry dance bang down the aisle like they're Harley Quinn and the fucking Joker. It's pretty funny. There's a tremendous shot of Dustin Runnels in the ring with his hand out extended like he's doing the rocks just bring it or telling someone to stop. But he's like trying to block Terry and Dustin, the Terry and Val from his view. It's tremendous. This whole thing is garbage, elevated solely by Dustin Runnels. I don't mind telling you. Val enters the ring. Dustin continues to pray, but the bell rings and Val attacks. Val is then quickly powerbombed by Dustin Runnels. Uh, Dustin using this as a transition move. All right. King says the crowd is stunned silent because of Terry's dress. I'm assuming they're probably just not interested because is this heel versus heel? Question mark. I mean, Val is stooping another guy's wife. But that being said, the other guy kind of deserves it? Question mark. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, it, it's kind of weird to see here and be like, well, Val Venus is hooking up with somebody else's wife. And it's like being... It's like, you know, you don't own people. So it's like Terry's making her own decisions. It's like if their marriage is broken up, like what's a big deal? But at the same time, the WWF is not the place 
to play off complex human emotion or scenarios, so I guess it's just heel versus heel. Val Venus uses the camel clutch on Dustin Runnels. The ref's like, Dustin, do you quit? Dustin yells, go to hell! Later, in the same move, he yells, Terry! This match blows, though. <laughs> it really does. Much later on in the match, because, folks, I got no notes for, like, six minutes. And I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be full here, but whatever. Dustin hits a bulldog. He prays. He signals to his god, asking, Is this my time to beat a Val Venus? He covers Val. One, two, three. Well, actually, it's one, two. Referee refuses to count. Val doesn't kick out. Oh, it's a botch. The referee, like, when he goes to slam down three, he stops short. Much like Kramer in that episode of Seinfeld, he stops short on Mrs. Costanza. This is Frank Costanza. Uh, it's a big botch Boski, indeed. Val just doesn't kick out. He gets up angry. It's your own fault. Hits the power slam. Hits the money shot. One, two, three. Yay, oh, thank God. Half star at the best. I mean, look. That half star is all for Dustin's character work in this match, too. He does do some funny praying shit. Like, I think this character is hilarious. But it, don't watch this. Terry and Val celebrate. Who cares? Up next, a big six-man tag team action. You see, DX, back at SummerSlam, cut the hair of a Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Double J attacked the throat of a road dog, Jesse James, with the guitar. And on Sunday Night Heat, badass Billy Gunn was forced into a mere match triple threat for actually pretty interesting reasons in a pretty interesting scenario. <gasps> See Kingfish Episode 9 for more information. Oh, Johnny, you suck. Johnny, you suck. But yeah, so Billy Gunn's in a weakened state, to say the least. Here come Jeff Jarrett and Southern Justice. Jarrett has on a Don't Piss Me Off shirt and his Don't Piss Me Off guitar, but it's Don't Pee Star Star Star. I mean, come on. Come on. We're on pay-per-view. Oh, Jeff Jarrett's got new hair. He's got new attire. But more importantly, a new attitude for Jeff Jarrett. Brax Block! Brax Block! Here comes X-Pac with Mike Tyson's DX theme song. I don't mind telling you. He is, of course, the new champion of Euro. Fitting, as X-Pac has always kind of looked like Eurotrash, but he's entering all alone. Ah, here we are, the New Age Outlaws music hits. But the Road Dog's not doing the, oh, you didn't know? Wait a minute. The New Age Outlaws are here, but they attack from the crowd. The bell rings. The crowd is pissed that they did not get to sing along with the New Age Outlaws. Uh, DX does clear the ring. Billy grabs the mic. I don't know if this is an improv or not, but he yells, We got two words for ya. Hamilton answers. And now Hamilton, Ontario, has been slightly appeased. X-Pac and Jeff Jarrett start. Uh, Jeff Jarrett goes for head scissors on X-Pac. What do you think he does? Of course. Powerbomb. He tags in the roadie. The roadie facing off against Jeff Jarrett. The mega singers explode. The Road Dog on offense. He gets in some big moves. The Road Dog does that boss man up against the ropes leg squash thing. The Road Dog struts. The Road Dog hits the shaky leg knee drop. The real Double J is on fire. But the Bitters Arkansas Little Pig Farmer, Phineas Godwin, is in there. 
getting some cheap offense in. And then he tags Bitters Arkansas, the big hog farmer. And the road dog is quickly in peril. Jim Ross is all like, well, I'll tell you, this youngster made it through the Gulf War so he can survive this. King's like, yeah, he's the only person to call for that both sides shot at. Ah! There's a lukewarm tag to X-Pac. He's not quick. He's sudden. But Big Hank interferes all of a sudden and stalls out X-Pac. Lots of interference here. Tim White won't let DX interfere. And Billy's like, you suck at Tim White rather loudly. And the crowd pops. Uh, Southern Justice has been working most of this thing now. And JR says the match is now being worked at a Southern Justice pace. Jeff Jarrett tagged in. Hits the sleeper on X-Pac, because why not have the two quickest guys do a sleeper hold? God love him, though. Canada is still in it, cheering for X-Pac to come back. He does. He breaks free and hits a hot tag to B.A. Billy Gunn. He's been getting the push here in September, believe it or not. JR thinks he might be the best pure striker. I'm sorry, best pure athlete in the WWF. Bonzo Gonzo. Everybody's in there fighting everybody. Uh, Bronco Buster is hit. Then an X-Factor. But no, it's countered. X-Pac's all alone in the ring. Jeff Jarrett has the guitar. Billy takes the guitar. Now Billy's in the ring, but the ref's all in his face. Hank, whichever one he is, Mark Canterbury, gives the guitar uh, to Double J. Double J nails X-Pac on the outside with the guitar. But inside, I guess Phineas and Billy are the legal men. Phineas whips Billy into the ropes. Phineas makes a cardinal mistake in a match with one badass Billy Gunn. He puts his head down for a big back body drop. Billy seizes the day, hits the famouser, or the rocker dropper, as JR calls it. One, two, three. <clears throat> Excuse me. I guess, I guess we'll call this two and a half. It's about ten minutes long, give or take. I, you know, I'm coming to the end here. I know we're running a little long. I didn't, you know, I took the notes that are necessary. But, uh, you know, the heat spots are boring, I will admit. But, again, God love them. The, the crowd stays into it. It's it's middle of the road. like a, It's just like a two commercial break or one commercial break raw match. Um, I'll, I'll call it two and a half, like I say, just and to be done with it. Uh, X-Pac is doing some sort of an eye injury gimmick. I don't know if it's legit or not, but the outlaws help him to the back. And up next, folks, the master, the master, ma- ma- master plan will come to fruition. It's the big main event of the pay-per-view. Of course, not the main event of Brightman. But of the pay-per-view, we get the same video recap we got on Heat. We're back to live action, and the announcers remind us about the rules one more time, so I will remind you, Undertaker and Kane can only pin Austin, and if anyone interferes for Stone Cold, the match is over. Austin is stripped of the title. So honestly, and I'm not trying to poke holes in the logic, okay, but when the bell rings, why not send Gerald Briscoe out there and have him hit the Undertaker and Kane with a chair? Thus helping Stone Cold. Thus, I mean, you see where I'm going here, right? But whatever, I don't care. Uh, We get a recap of the big angle that happened on Heat involving Vince, a Mark Henry, and a steel cage. (gasps) But you got to listen to Kingfish if you want to know more. The organ sounds through Hellfire and Brimstone and Aquatober. Here comes Kane. Uh, Kane's flying solo on his entrance. He enters the ring. He summons the pyro. God love JR for acting surprised every time Kane hits the pyro in the ring. We get a sign that says the Undertaker can raise the Titanic. I pause. I even, like, this sign's not that funny. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to find a way to do this, and I'm telling you right now it's happening. 
And and I'm hoping to I'm hoping to change some minds when you hear this statement, okay? Soon here in the Aqua Cave, the Titanic, that being the film, Titanic is coming to the Aqua Cave. We're coming up on the 25th anniversary of the film Titanic being released this December 19th, 1997, or 2022, be the 25th anniversary. I just rewatched Titanic for the first time in probably 15 years. I've got some thoughts. They're positive, and I've got some bold claims to make about this film. I don't mind telling you, but that's someday in the future. Uh, here comes The Undertaker! With his rockin' dead man. You know, my favorite part of the song is definitely at the end where there's a breakdown and it's like, as he's coming down the aisle, JR's like, The Undertaker, he's so evil. Which sounds like something that Charlotte would put in her web above The Undertaker as he's sleeping in the, in the little pigsty. Look at that Undertaker. He's so evil. I guess it was some pig, not so pig, but I'm sticking with it, though. My God, that web says that's some Undertaker. Zuckerman's favorite taker. Oh, we look at it be the greatest taker in history. How high look at him by. What does it have to be? Zuckerman's famous Undertaker. So, like, I was forced to watch the musical cartoon Charlotte's Web in, like, the first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and even maybe the fifth grade, so I might have it in my memory. Now, here's something interesting. The Taker's halfway down the aisle, and my God, Austin attacks him with a chair. Uh, he's here to divide and conquer. Taker gets the shit kicked out of him with a chair in the aisleway. Taker is down. Austin and Kane fight to the ring, all alone, and the bell rings. So... Separation has been created. The bell has rung. We're live. Taker, or excuse me, Austin and Kane are fighting in the ring. Kane goes up top and misses the Kane clothesline to no pop. Kind of weird. I'm wondering, is Canada nervous about what's possibly going to happen here? The Taker slowly limps to the ring. Of course, Undertaker's been limping since King of the Ring, 98, so that's no surprise. Nonetheless, Austin greets him, throws him legs first into the steps. A fan comically yells, Are you okay, Undertaker? Austin gives Kane some dick trauma. JR wonders if the Undertaker will ever be an uncle after that one. The crowd is quiet. Serious question. Serious question. So the crowd was stunned early in the six-man tag team match when they didn't get to sing along with the New Age Outlaws. Now... The context and relationship to this match is the glass never broke, they never got to pop. I mean, that's kind of what you paid for in the Attitude Era, right? You want to be a part of the show the way it's presented on TV. You want to experience all the things you see on TV. This isn't limited to the Attitude Era. Like, if there was some hot act now that did something on their entrance every time, and the one show you go to is the one show where they don't do it, you're going to feel cheated. And I'm being dead serious, like... That's something that Booker, like wrestling content producers, need to be aware of. Like, yeah, you can't, it can't be the same every time, but pick and choose your spots when you do things that are outside the norm. Something as simple as popping for the glass breaking is something these guys might have been waiting for all night. Plus, they have seen Austin once before earlier on Heat. Watch, listen to Kingfish to find out more. But uh, I don't know. We get a stunner out of nowhere. But uh, Taker breaks up the pin. JR yells, Damn it! It was over! King says, No, it wasn't! JR is so flabbergasted that he yells, Are you telling me that the King was going to kick out of that? That was pretty funny. 
Later, Jr. says he would hate for King to defend him in court. Are you Mr. McMahon's liaison or something? Uh, I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, you know, you do get a decent amount of Jr. and King bickering back and forth in this match. They're sort of the under, under, uh, Undertaker. Why do I? Have you noticed I keep botching by saying Undertaker? They're the Attitude Era equivalent of Bobby and Gorilla. Let's see if I can finish this match without saying Undertaker when I'm trying to say something else. All right, Stone Cold grabs an Undertaker. God damn it. All right, here we go. Jr. yells, My God, Stone Cold Undertaker. All right, here we go. Seriously, though. Actually, you know what? I, I Here's the thing. I have so many notes about this match. This match sucks. This match sucks so hard. It's all slow brawling. It's main event brawling at its worst. Actually, I'm looking through my notes. I have like 68 bullet points of things that happen in this match. But it's like Austin ducks out of a chair shot. Undertaker breaks up the pin. Kane breaks up the pin. Uh, punches, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to recap it. I don't, but let me hit the highlights. So, it's pretty much walking around slowly, beating up Austin. Eventually, they get to the aisle. The Stooges come out. Austin hilariously attacks Gerald Briscoe, but everybody attacks Austin. Taker and Kane drag Austin to the ring. Now, I just covered about 20 minutes, or nah, probably like 15 minutes of ring time. Now all three are in the ring, and Undertaker and Kane start going for pins. This is where they start disagreeing, finally. It's like seven minutes too late into this thing for them to fall apart and start attacking one another. There is a very fun sequence where Kane and Austin have the Undertaker in between them, and they punch him back and forth like a ping-pong ball. It's, It's awesome because it's like Kane and Austin working together out of nowhere, and the crowd pops huge for it. But it slowly goes away, and, you know, Taker and Kane work together some more. Then one of them goes for a pin, and then they finally start fighting each other. The finishing sequence is god-awful. So, there's a double down between Taker and Kane. Austin's already down. They big boot each other, those being the big fuckers. Austin sits up, like the Undertaker and Kane, which is kind of cute. Taker falls outside the ring. He goes to the top rope, though. And uh, Taker, I just fucking did it again. Kane is going to tombstone Austin. Taker goes to the top rope for that vicious tombstone spike we've seen on Heat, which would be on Kingfish. And uh, Austin breaks it up. Taker eats some dick trauma on the top rope. Austin goes for the stunner. Okay, but here's how he does it. We all know how the stunner works. Little gut kick, stunner. He little gut kicks... He does nothing. He then punches. Then he puts Kane's head in the stunner position and walks and spins around to face the Undertaker just so Kane can throw him into the Undertaker. It's pathetic. It's awful. It's bad timing, even from our savior, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Double choke slam. Double pin. One, two, three. The crowd is stunned. Austin has lost the title. Fink says, the winner and new. But he doesn't know what to say. Vince comes out, he yells and tells Patterson or Briscoe to bring him the belt. Pat- Briscoe breaks into a dead sprint, yanks the belt from Earl Hebner, and brings it back to Vince like a dog. It's pretty funny. Taker and conf- are confused and angry in the ring. Vince flees. Austin pursues. He gets caught by the Stooges. He attacks them. Vince gets in a limo and drives away in the back. Austin kills the Stooges. He gets to the back. He gets to the parking lot. He sees Vince hanging out of his limo. Vince has the smoking skull belt. You see this, you son of a bitch? Austin looks on, defeated. 
You don't have it anymore. It's mine. It's mine. The camera cuts to Vince hanging out of the limo like it's prom night. He's holding the Smoky Skull belt. And he's delivering the greatest flipping of the bird in the history of our sport. The middle finger is up. His thumb is out. And his index finger is bent and leading against the middle as we end our scene. What an awful fucking match. I'm sorry. Like, you didn't want to hear blow for blow. It's one star at the most because of the bickering and bantering and decent enough crowd interaction at certain points. But this main event Attitude Era shit doesn't age well. So that puts a bow on the show. Kind of rhymes. The show's meh. I'm glad to have seen it. I could check it off the list. I love the cage match, and the commentary throughout the night is fun here and there. I didn't say I'd rank the pay-per-view, but I will, and I'll do it out of 10. I'm going to give it a 5, and here's why. The undercard stuff is... It's fun enough in places. The cage match is the only thing worth watching. But even I acknowledge that the more you watch that match, the less fun it's going to be. Because it's it's not like a barn burner. Like, I know I gave it four stars. It's good, but it's not the type of match that you can watch over and over and over again. Okay? Upon repeat, you're only going to pop for the big spots. Okay? Um, but this is the type of show that you could throw on in the background to listen to. I don't know if, uh, if, re- if normal people do that. I will often throw on a pay-per-view and just listen to the commentary. It's probably the reason why a shit ton of my shows revolve around commentary. Because that's the biggest part of wrestling for me. It always has been and it always fucking will be. But I'll give it a five because you can easily listen to it and maybe pay attention. Look up from your iPad while uh, you're reading comic books. Now I'm just telling you what I do in my everyday life. And, and, you know, and watch the cage match. So there you have it. But hey, you know, just because this show's over, the Aqua Cave podcast feed carries on forward. I hope you had fun with this one. I certainly did. I apologize for all the silly uh, shills from my other shows. But hey got to sell, sell, sell. Always be selling, right? Coffees for closers, other stereotypical things people say. Um, But if you like the content in this show, the only way to make sure you get notified when new content drops in the Aqua Cave is to subscribe. So do that. Leave a review. Hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C and tell me what you want to hear moving forward. And prepare yourselves for that Titanic show because it's fucking coming. All that being said, for JR, the king, And for Dustin Ruddles, I don't know why, but he's cracking me up. I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you. It's mine, Austin. It's mine. Look at my middle finger.